Turn in the Scriptures to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We'll read the whole chapter. This is the Word of the Lord. So I returned and considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of such as were oppressed. And they had no comforter. And on the side of their oppressors there was power, but they had no comforter. Wherefore I praise the dead which are already dead more than the living which are yet alive. Yea, better is he than both they which hath not yet been, who hath not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. Again, I considered all travail and every right work, that for this a man is envied of his neighbor. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. The fool foldeth his hands together and eateth his own flesh. Better is an handful with quietness than both the hands full with travail and vexation of spirit. Then I returned and saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone, and there is not a second. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother, yet is there no end of all his labor. Neither is his eye satisfied with riches. Neither saith he, for whom do I labor, and bereave my soul of good. This is also vanity, yea, it is a sore travail. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better is a poor and wise child than an old and foolish king who will no more be admonished. For out of prison he cometh to reign, whereas also he that is born in his kingdom becometh poor. I considered all the living which walk under the sun and with the second child that shall stand up in his stead. There is no end of all the people, even of all that have been before them. They also that come after shall not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and vexation of spirit. There ends our reading of God's holy word. The text for the sermon is verses 1 through 3. So I returned and considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold the tears of such as were oppressed, and they had no comforter. And on the side of their oppressors there was power, but they had no comforter. Wherefore I praise the dead which are already dead more than the living which are yet alive. Yea, better is he than both they which hath not yet been, who hath not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, many of you are aware, surely, that recently the opportunity to speak on verses 9 through 12 some of the more positive and encouraging words in this chapter and in all of Ecclesiastes, two are better than one. The occasion of a wedding ceremony. As that wedding approached and this trip approached for our family, I took the somewhat pragmatic step of 
or intended to take the pragmatic step of making a sermon on those verses, preach a sermon on Ecclesiastes 4, 9-12, through and take the sermon and use it for the wedding, and might just be a step to save me a little time, a little bit of selfishness in that selection, and that selfishness came out when I began to prepare that sermon and never made it. Never made the sermon on Ecclesiastes 4, 9-12, through not that it couldn't be made, Because I had to understand the context of Ecclesiastes 4, as any exegete must. The context of the whole of Scripture. The context of the Old Testament versus the New Testament. The context of the book of the Bible, Ecclesiastes. The context of the chapter and the immediately preceding and following verses. I had to understand how two is better than one fit with oppression. And I was struck, not just struck, but pricked in my heart at Solomon, the preacher's return. He returned and he considered all the oppressions that are under the sun. Oppression is not a subject that I'm attracted to. It's not a subject that I want to preach on and to study, but it is a subject that I must preach on and must study, and you must hear the fruits of those labors, and you must learn the biblical perspective of the preacher who considered all the oppressions under the sun. It's so much more pleasant to think about other things. It's so much more pleasant to not study it, to not look into it. And I was impressed upon this all the more as we're traveling as a family and to my two-year-old, I can point out to her these new and beautiful things. I can say, Listen to the waves crashing on on the shore. Look at the pelicans flying in and diving in for their for their food out of the ocean. Behold the mountains. She's never seen a mountain before. Behold the mountains. Now they're all around us. They're so big, so strong, so tall. There's all these new creatures around us, all these pleasant sights and enjoyable experiences. And it is not my inclination to go to say to my daughter, behold the tears of the oppressed. But we must. And there's no explicitly positive note in these three verses. You can try and find it, and you won't. Read it, and then read it again, and then read it again. You will not find an explicitly positive note in the text. And so, that's why if you have your bulletin or you're taking notes, you might Look, go to the third point and you can write it as I have it in my notes. There's a 
after the third point, but just put a question mark. Is there comfort? I'll tell you this, the consideration is not an enjoyable consideration. The conclusion is not a positive conclusion. Is there comfort? Let's consider all oppression under the sun. Before considering, we must set the ground rules for our consideration. They're not our ground rules. They're Solomon's ground rules. The preacher's ground rules in Ecclesiastes. Solomon is limiting himself. He has the whole world in front of him. He has the earthly creation in front of him. And he has the heavenly realm in front of him. And as any faithful believer, he can see into that spiritual realm and see spiritual things and understand spiritual things and make connections between the earthly and the spiritual realms, the life that is and the life that is to come. But Solomon in this sermon is limiting his field of view. He's drawing in a boundary. And the boundary is is to take that canopy and take a canopy and just stretch it over the sun, the earthly sun that shines in the heavens and then drape it over the sun so that we have this earthly realm. And we're not looking into the heavens anymore. There's this black curtain that is obstructing our view into the heavenly realm. And as it were, that curtain also functions to leave out any spiritual implications of the heavenly realm on earth. So that this earth becomes a merely earthly place in this thought experiment. That's the ground rules for this consideration. He's observing and he's evaluating under the sun. And his conclusion with that field of view, this limited field of view, his conclusion is what he sees is vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Once in a while, the preacher will peer over the boundary. And he'll do that when in a consideration of the happenings under the sun, he'll go down a road and consider, for example, the man who does wicked, evil deeds a hundred times and isn't punished. What do we do with that? Well, we have to go beyond the boundary and consider that even though God is not executing judgment spiritually, He will execute judgment. Or what about the youth who go and eat, drink, and be merry, and they seemingly just have the time of their life and never give a consideration to God and His commandments? He must consider the judgment. So at the end of Ecclesiastes, the the youth are exhorted, rejoice, rejoice, but consider the judgment. So once in a while, he breaks through the barrier, but largely his scope is set. He's only looking under the sun. And if we don't understand the field of view, the boundary of being under the sun, then we will not interpret this text properly. Under the sun, there are things you can see and touch and experience and enjoy and things also that you must endure. We need this sermon from Solomon. It's inspired for us because we have an affinity for earthly life. 
And we need to learn from Solomon's wisdom and learn his insights into earthly life. We also need to learn not to cling to earthly life because it is folly, vanity, and vexation of spirit. We also need to learn to hear Solomon's sermon and learn its message because there is an opposing viewpoint from the world and the opposing viewpoint of the flesh. The opposing viewpoint of the world and the flesh and even Satan himself is that this world under the sun is all that you need. Just enjoy this world. Don't worry about what's above the sun. Don't worry about the life to come. This is all you need. Just eat, drink, and be merry. And Solomon is really preaching a polemic sermon against that viewpoint. That earthly, materialistic viewpoint. There are those who say that this world can be fulfilling and you can be happy in this world without a consideration of God and spiritual things. Well, Solomon says, let's test that theory. Let's test that theory and let's really look at what life is like when we rule out the whole spiritual realm. That's what he's doing in Ecclesiastes. And just one of the observations to fight against that false view that the world that we can see and touch is enough for us is the oppression that takes place in this realm. Solomon returns and considers all the oppressions that are done under the sun. Literally, the phrase, all the oppressions that are done, could be better translated, all the oppressed who are made. He's not just looking at the abstract fact of oppression. He is looking and beholding the people who are oppressed, who are made to be oppressed by their oppressors. All around the world, you can find those whose lives are characterized by this oppression. And this is not a matter of debate. If we would deny that, the re- that this world contains oppression, even an abundance of it, then we are not only denying simple facts, but we are denying the inspired observation of the preacher in Ecclesiastes 4. There is such a thing as oppression. Oppression can be, has, and has been, and still today is in many forms. Oppression can be inflicted along the lines of race, ethnicity, culture, politics, or along various social lines or class lines divided by financial well-being. Oppression can also be religious, of course. And this almost surely is some of the oppression that Solomon saw in his own kingdom. Oppression can be overt, out in the open, deliberate, 
systematic. It can also be unofficial, ingrained into a culture or society or community or family. There is oppression to be observed. You can't observe it in the history books. Some of the most outstanding, well-known events in all of history have undertones of oppression or even carried out exactly along the lines of inflicting oppression or rectifying oppression. Some would take this passage and say, well, let's not think about all of the oppression in history. Let's not think about so many different kinds of oppression. Let's just focus on religious oppression. But that's not what he says. He says he returned and considered all. All the oppression under the sun. So I can't even begin to detail all the oppression all the oppressed that are made under the sun. I don't know their names. I have not seen their abuse. I have not seen the pain that they endure. I do not even know about the half of it or a fraction of it or even the tiniest, tiniest fraction of a fraction of a fraction of it. All we can do is say, all of it. It's everywhere. Without distinctions to be made, there's all kinds of oppression Oppression takes, is, takes place for various reasons. Almost always, even exclusively, I dare say, oppression is aimed at self-gratification. So that for one's own personal advancement, one's own satisfaction and wealth or goals, one's own pleasure, one takes advantage of someone who is weaker, poorer, different, or in a vulnerable position one way or another. It can be as simple as the usury inflicted by the rich upon the poor that cripples them. Or it can be the violent persecution of those in power in the government or who are supported by the mobs against those who have another view or worship the one true God. It can often be through a threat of violence or a show of power to bully or intimidate. It can be and is often manipulative and deceitful so that the oppressor has a disguise of being one who is upright and does things that are right, and yet he uses those that disguise to inflict pain or more properly to gratify himself and in the process, inflicts pain without a care for the ramifications of his behavior. Whatever form oppression takes, it always has this dynamic in it. On the side of their oppressors, there was power. The oppressed are powerless, helpless, but the oppressors are powerful, are powerful. They may have power in the form of physical might, numbers, authority, wealth, clout. They may simply have the esteem of those around them on account of their age or their position or their office. 
and they abuse the power that they hold and exploit the vulnerable for pleasure, profit, or otherwise. The convenience of their power is not only that it is a tool to, inf- to get what they want, but it is a tool to keep judgment from coming down upon them. And the oppressed cannot resist or escape. In consideration of the oppressed that are made under the sun, to this point we have really considered it generally. And when we must talk about oppression, then we find it very convenient to do so in a general way. If we keep it general and we keep our distance, then we don't need to reckon with the pain that it causes the wounds that it leaves and the damage that it does. And it won't have an impact on our souls. It won't affect our lives or awaken us to the tragedy that it is either. But the observation of the preacher is not general or abstract. He will not allow us to, take, to keep our distance. He will not allow the congregation to keep their distance. He demands of us, behold the tears. Look and take notice of the tears of such as were oppressed. All the oppression under the sun is a very broad subject. All the tears of all the oppression done under the sun would take a very long time to even observe. Our churches have been awakened to a particular form of oppression that is extremely grievous, perhaps among the worst kinds of oppression, and that is oppression that takes the form of abuse. Physical abuse. Abuse in marriage. And even the abuse of children in a sexual manner. And by abuse, I mean that persons with power exploit those who are vulnerable for their own gratification with grievous consequences and lifelong damage done to those who are abused. I have not seen all kinds of oppression or witnessed the tears of all who are oppressed. God has given me to see the tears of a few who are and have been abused. Have you? Perhaps it's better to ask it this way. There's a congregation here. Abuse takes place within the church. 
those tears. Maybe you've never let anyone see them. The preacher is leading us to see them now. We don't need to know your name. You may come to us if you please. But we know the reality of it. I've learned from those tears. Those tears opened up the books for me. The books didn't make an impression upon my soul and teach me about abuse like the tears of the oppressed did. And so if you have been gifted the opportunity to know someone with these t- who cries these tears, then don't waste the opportunity to learn from them. Learn about those tears and what those tears stand for. Learn that those tears come without warning. Learn that the tears are just a visible sign of the wounds that they hide in their hearts and the scars that they bear in their bodies. Learn that the tears are the only way that they can run away from their fears. They're overwhelmed because the dawn of each day in their experience has brought more and more suffering in which they will be robbed, abused, used, bullied, manipulated, or dismissed. And they cry. And the tears stream and there's nothing else they can do. They cannot resist their oppressors. They don't have power on their side. They cry because they are in pain. They cry because they are suffering. And not just as they are being abused, but the rest of their life they cry because of the lingering pain and consequences. They cry because of the powerlessness that they feel. And they're overwhelmed. They cry because... They have, as they have cried for help, no one has come to help them. And people did not understand the tears or take the time. They didn't come as the preacher came to observe, but they came and they see the tears and they try to fix. That was my error. Didn't take long for me to learn. I thank God for that. But not every tear has a solution under the sun. The text tells us that. They had no comforter. The oppressed had no comforter. The oppressors had power. And in case you missed it the first time, it's repeated. They had no comforter twice. It's here when we have to remember that we're under the sun. We're limiting our field of view. Under the sun, no comforter. Men are not willing or able to intervene in such a way that they are relieved of their pain and the tears are stopped. They don't have the power to do so. If one enters the conflict and takes a stand with the weak, then you are inviting oppression into your life. Or if one waits for another to come and overthrow the oppressor, look at the history books and learn what happens over and over again. The the oppression doesn't go away. It just takes a new form. So we just have a new oppressor. The power's been transferred, but the temptation endures. 
And Solomon does not say that there are so few comforters. He says there's no comforters. And he says no comforters because no one is able to stop the oppression, to take away the pain, to avenge with justice, and to wipe away the tears and lift up the oppressed. Man, men can try to do something to help the oppressed, but you will not find a man who can deliver all that is needed so that a perfect salvation is granted. There is such a one. We know that. We know there is a deliverer and a comforter from this oppression too. He is not from under the sun. We'll come to Him. The reality that we must observe here in this first point is just this. There is all this oppression. There are all these tears. There are these many oppressors with power. And there is no comforter. So what is the conclusion? The conclusion is introduced with the word wherefore. Verse 2, wherefore. Because of what I have seen and on the basis of what I have seen, here is what I must speak. Wherefore, I praised the dead, which are already dead, more than the living, which are yet alive. After seeing the oppressed and their tears and the oppressors and their power and accounting for the fact that they had no comfort or none at all, then I concluded that the dead are worthy of praise. The dead have it better than those who are alive. The dead do not have to suffer through this world of oppression. And once you have seen the oppressed and noticed their hopeless tears, there is indeed a misery that you are awakened to in this life under the sun. So we praise the dead. He commended them. Their state of being was envied by Him. Then he goes on and makes another conclusion. Yea, better is he than both they. Better than the living and better than the dead is he that hath not yet been. He who has not yet been born. Who hath not seen, and not just with his eyes, but who has not experienced the evil work that is done under the sun. The dead are praised in relation to the living, but they have this drawback. The dead had to live through it. The dead had to endure this world in which there is all this oppression. The dead had to suffer through it and wait for escape and relief only through death. The dead had to die. But there are those who are not yet. They are in the womb, yet to be conceived. They have it better because they don't know anything of oppression. They have not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. They have not tasted the bitterness of this life. One commentator put it succinctly of these not yet born, till his existence begins, he does not have to share in that ghastly mockery of happiness called life. When you really have understood life the way the preacher 
is setting forth life under the sun, it is a ghastly mockery of happiness. Better are the dead who are no longer enduring it, and better yet than they and the living are those who have not yet entered into share in it. Now, we might be tempted to rebuke the preacher for, this, for these conclusions. They sound like other complaints in the Scriptures, like Job's complaint of an untimely birth. Why died I not from the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? Or maybe Jeremiah's complaint, Wherefore came forth I out of the womb to see labor and sorrow, that my days should be consumed with shame? But if we condemn all of these sentiments that praise the dead and those not yet born, then we'd have to condemn Jesus, who said, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bear, and the paps which never gave suck. Or Jesus as He speaks, In Revelation 14, blessed are the dead that they may rest from their labors. Now all of these are given in different contexts and not all of those are without their faults or sins. But the preacher here has set the ground rules very clearly. He is looking under the sun and only under the sun. He is deliberately refusing to to extend his gaze into heaven and peer into the spiritual realm. He is deliberately keeping himself from grasping at the hope and comfort of God's covenant and God's Christ. If you rule all that out, what are you left with? Better are the dead. And better yet than the dead and the living are those which have never been born. Don't you confess that? What if I take away your only comfort in life and death, hypothetically, will rule that out as something that is above the sun? Do you have any comfort? No. Better are the dead and those which have not been born. Solomon's conclusion is absolutely true and just. The oppression is undeniable. The experience of it is grievous. And therefore, his argument is made in this point. The good which this world all by itself has to offer does not come close to outweighing the grief that this world inflicts. There is a search now for a positive application, but we must first dwell yet in the negative. We must learn from this polemic. Solomon is silent. He is silent on a note of comfort, and that is as intentional as it is inspired. Solomon's purpose is not to solve the problem of oppression. He can't do that. I can't do that. You can't do that. He does not even try to point us to the solution, though we can be led by this passage to the solution. He wants to show us the folly of embracing this life as all that there is. The folly of embracing life under the sun as the be-all and end-all of the existence that we have. 
His purpose is to lead His congregation. And my purpose with you as a congregation is that we would all consider this world as a place that cannot be reckoned as our home. It is not a place that we must cling to and may cling to. And there in this world, you will not find relationships and you will not find things that are so fulfilling that we have no need of God and that which endures forever. If we limit ourselves to creatures and to creation and to a society and the things we see and feel and observe, life is vanity and sore travail and vexation of spirit. So, beloved congregation, don't give in to the temptation of the lusts of the flesh that longs for this earthly life and clings to the things of this world. And don't give in to your pride which has no need for God and His law and has no need for the fear of God or the keeping of His commandments. And oppressors need to recognize this, that they come to an end. And that this is vanity. All your oppression is vanity. Another oppressor will come and will take all from you. Or death will come and take it from you in the end. And you will meet your Maker in His just vengeance. All the oppressed, those who are weeping because they have been abused and betrayed and mistreated and offended, You don't need a reminder. You live with those tears. If there's anyone in this world who knows that this place cannot be our home and that we need more than what we can see and feel under the sun, it's those who cry those tears. God uses the wickedness of oppression. The reality and the grief and the misery of oppression and a consideration of that oppression, even if we have not experienced it ourselves. God uses it to loosen our grip, our fleshly grip on this world so that we long more and more for the world that is to come. And we find that there's nothing here to be desired and we'll only be satisfied in glory with the sight of God and the face of Jesus Christ. The comfort Comfort would mean that the oppressed are relieved of their pain. Comfort would mean that those under the sun have true happiness, rest, justice. And you will not find comfort under the sun apart from God. The remedy for, the, for oppression as generations of thinkers and theorists have taught cannot be found in uniting all the oppressed and exhorting them to rise up in rebellion against those who are oppressing us. It won't take it away. It won't take away the pain or stop the tears. It won't do anything with the sin of Adam that explains all 
of the oppression under the sun. It won't do anything with the curse upon man and all of creation and the effect that man's sin, our sin, has upon all human relationships so that even within the church amongst sinners, there is no relationship that is untainted with sin. Find any solution you want under the sun and it will not address or resolve the problem of Adam's sin. Sin makes this world vanity and full of tears. If we need biblical proof of that, all we need to do is look to Revelation that there's only one time when there will be no more tears. And that's in the new heavens and the new earth when the tabernacle of God is with men. Then there's no more tears. True comfort is not found under the sun except God break through our barrier that we have set up for our own experience or our own experiment and our own purposes. We cannot find a comforter under the sun, and yet God has given his son Jesus Christ to crash through that barrier and to bring the light into this world. But before He shines His light and destroys all oppression with His second coming on clouds of glory, He first comes under the sun and lives in all the misery under the sun. And He's born in our flesh and He bears our sins and He endures the curse of this sin-cursed world. He was born. There was never a time when the Son of God was not. That's Arian, Arianism. We reject that. There was a time when the Son of God, the incarnate Word, was not yet born in the flesh. There was a day in which Mary was about to be delivered, and then she was delivered. And then he saw. And then he could no longer be, pre be praised as one of the latent souls, so to speak, if we can speak so foolishly of the incarnate mediator. He was born. And he would live under that oppression as the man of sorrows, touched with the feeling of our infirmity and weeping. He wept. He died under that oppression and without a comforter, alone, forsaken by Israel, forsaken by the twelve, forsaken by God, forsaken and suffering under oppression and suffering under God's just wrath besides. Even when two is better than one, we can look to our Savior and see that He was alone as He was oppressed. He died to redeem His people and all of creation from the curse that makes this world vanity. Then He arose from the dead and is exalted as Lord of all. He's the Lord of this whole world. He's the Lord of the sun and all that's under the sun. He's the King exalted all over creation. And though all men with power abuse it to oppress, though they run roughshod over God's people in the church, though the little ones and the vulnerable and the women in and out of the church are oppressed and abused, yet He reigns over it and He governs all things for their good, the good of those who love Him. And from the seat of His power, He will come to judge. 
He will come to judge the living and the dead. He will judge the oppressor and He will avenge those who are oppressed. And according to the will of God the Father, through Christ and in Christ, there shall be a new creation where there will be no more oppression. And we have been given an earnest of that inheritance in the gift of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. He's poured it out upon us. And so as Christians, though it is profitable for us to take that canopy and cast it over the sun and evaluate and consider life just under the sun, we don't have to live like that. The 40 minutes that we took to look at oppression within this, these constraints, that's not the way we live. That's not the perspective we wake up with in the morning. That's not the perspective that we'll lay down our heads with at night. Because we have the Spirit and we are not living as though this is all that there is. We look up and we see the Son of God reigning in our flesh and in our, for our interest. We see that He's continuing to rule and to govern us and to supply our every need. And we live, we live with hope. We live in the enjoyment of salvation. We live in the comfort of the redemption in His blood. We know God and we fear Him and we love to keep His commandments in gratitude for what He's given to us. We have comfort. We have that only comfort that can abide through all kinds of miseries. The misery of sin. Misery that relieves from, or the salvation that relieves from our sin and miseries, and also our sin and misery inasmuch as Adam's sin is our sin, and all the curse upon this creation is our responsibility, we have comfort from that because of the Christ. And we daily groan and travail with all of the creation for the day in which all things will be made new. It's not our lament when we take we exit the thought experiment. It's not our lament to say that there is no comforter. He's given us the comfort. He is the comforter. He sent Him. Even as He received Him as the once crucified, but now exalted Savior. So beloved people of God who will live under the sun, beloved sufferers who are oppressed or abused or have been and live with the pain of that abuse, you are not alone. He is with you and He will sustain you and He will preserve you in hope and He will bring you to the day of perfect restoration and to the day of judgment and vengeance. He assures you moment by moment out of His Word that He is not ignorant of your tears and your sorrows. He is well acquainted with it. And He is not pleased with the oppression that you endure. His presence and His work will keep you from the conclusions of verses 2 and 3, the praising of the dead and those not yet born. The Spirit of God has inspired this Word to make us disgusted and disenchanted with this world and what it claims to offer. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. That same Spirit who inspired this Word shows us Christ. 
and makes us to be partakers of Christ. And to have fellowship with His sufferings and His death. And to be encouraged of His familiarity with our tears and our infirmities. And to rest in hope that He shall make all things new. Amen. Our Father, which art in heaven, grant that we might be turned in our eyes away from vanity and enter into thy sanctuary and see the holiness of thy ways. We pray for those who are oppressed, that they might be delivered and that they might find faithful companions under the sun. And above all, that every one of thy children might have the comfort of the presence of the Spirit of Jesus Christ and the hope of judgment and renewal so that we might have no more tears. Amen.